This is Case Closed, crime stories from the golden age of radio. Welcome back to Case Closed, your weekly hour of mystery and crime brought to you every Wednesday by RelicRadio.com. Our first story this week comes from the epic case book. It's titled The Waters of Death. This one aired March 19, 1970. After that, it's The Man from Homicide and his story from July 23, 1951, titled The Eddie Kent Case. Makers of epic pure sunflower oil, purine and pret cooking fat, yum yum peanut butter, maple margarine, and niblet's cheese twists present the epic casebook. In which Inspector Carr investigates. Good evening. Man proposes, but fate disposes. No, no, I'm not about to embark on some profound philosophical thesis. It was just that as I was gazing through my casebook in order to find a story in which my line of investigation and the surrounding circumstances differed from those I've related recently, I came across a number of crimes that might have gone into the unsolved section of our files had it not been for some chance act that no one could have anticipated. It is this seemingly trivial and unpredictable intervention in the course of human activity which makes the perfect crime almost impossible. Had not a dear old lady dreamt that there was gold underneath the cement floor of the garage and paid for it to be dug up, the body of the previous tenant, Mrs. Mayhew, would never have been discovered and her husband would have gone unpunished. Had not a dog being exercised decided to go chasing after a cat in Boreham Woods, Olive Henderson's body would have remained undiscovered until the following morning, by which time her killer would have escaped overseas. As it was, George Barker was arrested as he was about to board a ship. Take the story I'm going to tell you tonight. Had a holidaymaker not inserted his sixpence in the telescope on the top of Marlow Cliffs, he would not have seen Stephen Mannering disappear from the dinghy from which he was fishing, would not have raised the alarm, and his body might never have been found. Let me tell you about it. I've called my story The Waters of Death. The holidaymaker was a Mr. Patrick Scott. He rushed to report the incident and to seek assistance. Both he and those who went to rescue the man from the sea thought that they were taking part in a rescue operation as a result of an accident. Certainly they did not expect to find Stephen Mannering dead, nor that his death was caused by a blunt instrument and not by drowning. Car speaking. Operations here, Inspector. Oh, who or what is it this time? Devon, County Constabulary, seeking assistance. Someone identified as Stephen Mannering. Coshed on the head and thrown into the sea. The sea, you say? Where? Marlow. It's a nice time of the year, sir. Yes, it is indeed. Are they expecting us down there straight away? Yes, sir. A body was found yesterday afternoon. Sergeant Matthews is in charge of the local station. Right. Well, tell him I'm on my way. And first, I want to talk to this holidaymaker, Patrick Scott. Well, now, this is the spot, Inspector. Ah, delightful spot it is, too. Oh, this is the telescope. Yes. Hit me quite a shock, I can tell you. Yes, I'm sure I did, Mr. Scott. Now, you put your sixpence in this machine like... Yes, so. That's right, sir. Yes. And you got a magnificent view of the bay. Mm. Yes, indeed, it is a magnificent view. Hmm. No boats or anything at the moment. Well, there wasn't any yesterday afternoon except the one dinghy. Well, you couldn't tell. You couldn't see anything clearly unless you looked through this telescope. 
Did you focus the telescope on the dinghy all the time? Oh, no, no, Inspector. No, I arrived at the Marlow Cove Hotel yesterday morning. Okay. Just started my holiday. After tea, I thought I'd take a constitutional along the cliffs. I saw this telescope and I thought I'd have a deco at the bay. Well, it was the most extraordinary. Yes, I know you've given one statement to Sergeant Matthews. Uh, would you mind telling it to me again? Nothing to tell, really. I mean, at the time, there didn't seem anything particularly exciting about a dinghy with a man in it fishing, you uh, know. Just a minute. Uh, did you say fishing? Oh, yes, yes, I could see that clearly enough. Mm. It was a bit of a surprise when we fished him out of the water and found that somebody had bashed him on the head. I mean, there wasn't anybody near the spot. And I know the sergeant looked at me as though I'd had a drink or two because it <laughs> just didn't seem to make sense. Of course, I recognised him at once. Yes, he was staying at the same hotel. Uh, had you spoken to him? No, not really. I, I saw them in the morning when I checked into the hotel. And then I heard them as I was um, unpacking my things. Heard them? Well, uh, I suppose every couple has a row now and again. Not that I know much about it, being a bachelor. <laughs> oh? Uh, you heard Stephen Mannering quarrelling with his wife? Yes, it was a bit embarrassing for me. You know, these modern hotels, the walls are the thinnest cardboard. I didn't want to eavesdrop. Well, there seemed to be three of them, really, all having to go at each other. His brother... Just was a minute, Mr. Scott. You said he and his wife and his brother. Oh, yes. So I'm sure it was his brother. They all seemed to be having to go at each other. Could you hear what it was about? As I say, I wasn't paying much attention. Something to do with shares. I could hear something about accountants and divorce. Divorce, you say? Yes, yes, I heard that distinctly. I decided then that I should... Well, I should go downstairs. I didn't hear anything that might be of any help to you, I'm afraid. Thank you, Mr. Scott. Uh, what happened when you rushed to get assistance? Well, I ran as fast as my feet would carry me to the jetty. Luckily, Mr. Mr. Hayes was there with his boat. I jumped in and we, we went after him. If you say he fell out of the dinghy, he might have been drained by now. Oh, I can see the dinghy, but I can't see any sign of Mannering. Are you sure it was Mannering? No, I couldn't see his face or anything. It's that funny kind of duffel coat he was wearing at the hotel this morning. Well, keep your eyes peeled. Here, what's that? That's him. It is Mannering. Here, grab that coat. Ah, good. The water must have been quite buoyant to have kept him afloat, No, it? Mr. Scott, he was dead before he went into the sea. Otherwise, his lungs would have filled with water and he'd have drowned. Now, it's a lucky chance that you happened to watch the incident through this telescope. Well, thank you, Mr. Scott. Let's get back to the police car and I'll drop you at the hotel. was as puzzled as the criminal investigation department of the Devon police. Here was a dinghy in the middle of the bay with no other boat in sight, if Mr. Scott could be relied upon. And yet, this extraordinary mystery develops. We know he was killed before he fell into the water. The local police surgeon said someone had given him a tremendous blow and cracked his skull. But how? Who? Yet the witness is absolutely convinced that there was nobody near the place. I decided to start with Scott's interesting story of the quarrel. It'll all come out. I'm so ashamed. Sergeant Matthews has just rung me. Oh? What about? Oh, well, you'll know it too very soon. We were staying here at this hotel as husband and wife, but we weren't legally married. Oh. That didn't mean anything. Stephen and I couldn't get married. But we loved each other. His wife wouldn't give him a divorce? Uh, she couldn't care less about him. It was my husband that put a spanner in the works. Who is your husband? Alan Phillips. He calls himself an actor, though he hasn't had a part since last Christmas. He's a ham, my husband, on the stage as well as in real life. When I told him that I wanted a divorce, he put on an act, talking about marriage being a sacred contract, never to be dissolved and all that. So Stephen and I thought, well, if we can't go to the registry office, we just have to do without it. Doesn't make any difference to me. I see. Now, what happened here yesterday morning? Stephen's brother turned Name? Derek. Hmm? Came to see the horror of his brother living in sin on holiday. I understand you all quarreled. I understand. You mean all the nosy parkers in the hotel were listening with their ears glued to the keyhole. Yes, we quarreled. 
There was Derek, the pillar of society, threatening to throw Stephen out of the family business unless he went back to his wife. And your husband, uh, I beg your pardon, Mr. Mannering. You may well ask. A hundred times he used to swear he'd make any sacrifice for me and that miserable little crawler actually considered going back to his wife. Oh, I shouldn't have said that, should I? I'm sorry. But don't you see, now he's being killed, don't you see where it leaves me? What it makes me? Have you any idea who killed him? No. Yes, I have. Why should I shield him? Stephen's father made a peculiar will. The shares of the company won't go outside the family, should one of the three shareholders, that is, the mother, Derek Mannering and Stephen, die without leaving children. Then the shares would have to go to the remaining members of the family. And Stephen Mannering has no children? That's right. So his shares will go to Derek and the mother. Quite a coincidence, don't you think, Inspector? I see what you're getting at, Mrs. Mannering, or rather I should call you... What's your married name? Phillips. Ah. Uh, tell me something about your movements yesterday, Mrs. Phillips. Stephen said he was going fishing. Uh, what happened to the brother? He wouldn't even stay for lunch. Went off with a triumphant grin on his face. Because Stephen had agreed to go back to his wife? Hmm? Yes. He said he'd go fishing. He hired a dinghy belonging to this hotel. And what did you do then? Me? I, I stayed here in this room. Uh, how long? I really don't know. You mustn't ask me these questions, Inspector. Say for an hour or so. First, I wanted to leave here immediately. I'd already written a letter to Stephen, but then I tore it up and thought I'd have another chat with him when he came back. So I waited in the hotel lounge. I had a couple of drinks at the bar there. The barman will confirm that. Then I went to the terrace and read my book. Uh, Mr. Scott happened to see the empty boat just after tea. Do you remember what you were doing at that time? Yes, I was here on the terrace. Doing anything in particular? Reading a book. Now listen, Inspector. Now let's not cross verbal swords, madam. I'm only trying to get to the core of the mystery. Your husband, or rather the man you wanted for your husband, has had his skull cracked open and his body thrown into the sea. You'd like us to find the person who did it, wouldn't you? Of course I would. I know I said some nasty things about him. I did love him. Now my whole world is probably dirty. Mm. Will you go back to your husband? No. I don't know where I'll go, but I certainly won't go back to my husband. Well, when do you propose to leave? Well, there's nothing here, is there? I thought of going back to London tomorrow. Well, I wonder if you'd kindly stay here at Marlow until, say, tomorrow night. Might want to get in touch with you again. Yes, that's all right. I won't run away. I wouldn't know who to run to. Thank you. Mr. Scott, oh, I'd forgotten you were next door. Uh, do you mind if I have another word with you? Yeah, by all means, sir. Uh, I'd come into my room. Well, if you don't mind. Would you like a drink? Keep my own private supply. Uh, no, thanks. fact of the matter is that uh, I can't get over this business of you seeing a dinghy in your telescope, a mannering fishing, and, and then he disappears. Oh, you mean there must have been another man there to crack him on the skull? Eh? Precisely. Now, let's pinpoint it. Did you traverse the telescope from side to side? Yes, yes. And then you suddenly saw that dinghy coming along? That's right, yes. Mm -hmm. It just came round Brooker's head, sailing across the bay. And there was just one man in the boat? Yes. <laughs> Couldn't another person have been hidden by the sail? Well, I suppose it would have been possible. Mind you, I didn't pay much attention to it. Well, at least this is something. I don't believe in miracles or conjuring tricks, but... If you saw Mannering in the eye of your telescope and in the next few seconds he isn't there, you'd have seen any other occupant of the dinghy. <sighs> I don't know. Mm. Man has his head smashed in while alone in a little dinghy crossing the bay. <laughs> doesn't make sense, does it, Mr. Scott? No, I suppose it doesn't. Now, look, Inspector, I'm no sailor, but couldn't he have knocked his head against something on the boat? I mean, those sailing boats have all sorts of masts and things that's swinging about in the air. No, Mr. Scott, after my discussion with Sergeant Matthews and the police surgeon, we know that Mannering was brutally hit over the head with such force that it couldn't have been an accident. Is there, is there nothing else you can yeah, think of? Yeah. Now, wait a moment. Yes? Well, on the other side of the bay... Well? Yes. There was a car, a black car. I'm not sure about it. You said a glimpse of it. You say it was the other side of the bay. Yes, now, how would right. you know it was a black car? Have to be a powerful telescope. Well, it's only a small bay. That's fair enough. Here, wait a moment. The other side of the bay. If we were here three years ago, isn't it all marshland over there? Doesn't a road lead from the village to that point? Yes. I haven't been over there yet. But according to the local guide, 
It's known as Dead Man's Point. I don't know how you do it. I just don't know. Hmm? Do what? Well, cook the meals you do on your housekeeping budget. <laughs> when you're a housewife, you learn all the tricks. Like today, I bought a big supply of Pret shortening. Mmm, it's good. I know lots of girls who don't have to budget, but they won't use anything but Pret. Well, what do you use it for? Almost everything. Roasting, baking, and, of course, pastry. Pret is the shortening for pastry, you know. Well, darling, I think you're a wonderful cook. Thank you. My mother was a great cook, too. My mother's a better cook than your mother. Nobody can cook as good as my mom. When it comes to cooking, mothers go down in history. And when it comes to pastry, tender golden roasts, light crispy fries, pret shortening stands alone among women who care. My mother cooks with pret. <laughs> Were we really onto something? Or was the dramatic name Dead Man's Point influencing my desperate search for a clue? Whatever my reasoning, I decided to concentrate on that aspect. Uh, look, Sergeant Matthews, I know you haven't got a large force in a small place like this, but Dead Man's Point must have some significance. Why is it called that? Well, I believe at the time of the Armada, they found a dead Spanish sailor there. Well, what do you want us to do, sir? Well, Scott says he saw a black car. Rather a sticky place to drive a car. The road peters out, and all there is is a marsh. All the more reason. Uh, find out if anybody has been seen in a car like that. Check the petrol station in the village. In a small place like this, every stranger's conspicuous. Uh, see whether anybody was, was here who attracted the attention of the people in the village. Right, sir. Try the pub. Try the verger at the church. Lots of people visit the old church. Well, you know, the usual routine. Uh, yes, sir, I'll do that, sir. While the local sergeant set in motion the questioning of the villagers, I got through to London and invoked the aid of operations. Now, this is what I want you to do, Ops. I want you to get through to X Branch. I want you to find out everything concerning the dead man, Stephen Mannering, his wife, or, or rather, a Mrs. Edith Phillips, who had been living with him, her estranged husband, Alan Phillips, apparently an unsuccessful actor, and the dead man's brother, Derek. Very good, sir. How's the inquiry going? Oh, it isn't at all at the moment. Well, we have one slight lead that might get us somewhere. Still, we've solved cases that seemed worse than this. I get cracking as a good chap. Right, sir. Ah, uh, oh, Sergeant Matthews. Well, I hope you don't mind my sitting in your chair using your phone. Not a bit, sir. Any joy? I think so, sir. I find something that might be of use. Good. First of all, the driver of the Newton Abbott bus... Remembered a passenger he had yesterday morning who came off the London train. Mm -hmm. It was a woman, and he said she was a bit strange-like. Oh? The way she was dressed, he said. She wore flat shoes, or a large hat, and a suit which, so he said, must have been 20 years out of fashion. Oh, that's interesting. Go well, on. Apparently, the woman made inquiries about where to find the Marlowe Cove Hotel. But when she got off the bus, she made straight for Hatton's garage and hired a car. Uh -huh. She also inquired about a boarding house where she could stay. And Hatton mentioned Mrs. Mackenzie, who takes in boarders. I see. Well, the long and short of it all is that she did turn up at Mrs. Mackenzie's, took a room, paid for three days in advance, and then set off in Hatton's car, which is a black saloon. Ah. She returned the car early in the evening, and Hatton said she'd only done about 12 miles. She took the bus back to Newton Abbott, and that was the last anyone saw of her. Well, didn't she go back to this Mrs. Mackenzie? No, sir. She didn't leave any luggage behind, but you see, sir... Uh, there's a gleam in your eyes, Sergeant Matthews. What is it? Well, sir, Hatton said that when this woman returned the car to him, the wheels were caked with mud. Mud, eh? And the only muddy place we have round here is that marshy bit on Dead Man's Point. That's interesting, Matthews. Very interesting. I'll wager my non-existent bowler hat to that telescope on Marlowe Cliffs that Mrs. Mackenzie will have some rather vital bits of information. Mind 
you, Inspector. I don't know that I can help you, but she certainly was a mysterious guest. Why mysterious, Mrs. Mackenzie? Well, she comes here saying she wants to spend three days painting, pays her money in advance, and then disappears without as much as saying, thank you, but I've got to return home rather unexpectedly or something. Do you not think that's rather strange, Inspector? Oh, I certainly do. Tell me, when she came to stay, did she look at the room? Look at the room? She just sat here for a few minutes, lugged her suitcase out uh, again. Just a minute. Why did you say lugged? Oh, because I could hardly lift it when I tried to give her a hand. I see. The painter's palette and easel isn't all that heavy. Or neither a woman's clothes, which she may have had in it. And so the $64 question is, what was she carrying in that suitcase? Can you describe the woman for us, Mrs. McKenzie? Oh, aye. She was about six feet tall, a little on the stout side. She wore a rather flowery hat, a muffler. And that dress of hers it was a two-piece that must have been made before Sergeant Matthews here was born. Hmm. What was her voice like? Was it a sort of high-pitched, squeaky voice? You mean it might have been a man dressed as a woman? Yes, madam. There are scores of cases where... Well, let's not indulge in idle conjecture. Did you see her drive off? I saw her drive the car round the corner. But from there, she may have gone anywhere. Tell me, why do you want to know all this, Inspector? Is it anything to do with the dead man they found the day before yesterday? Someone told me that his wife was staying at the Marlowe Cove Hotel. But they say she isn't really his wife. I'm sorry, I can't tell you anything about it. Now, thank you very much for your information. Uh, come on, Matthews, we've got to go now. Maybe some news from operations. Derek Mannerin caught the 8 a.m. fast train to Newton Abbott. He is known to have returned on the 1.30, arriving Paddington 4.20. Ah, uh, well, that lets him out. We know that the man was alive at that time. What about Edith Phillips? Interesting point, dear sir. Yes? It's known that she created a disturbance at the Green Lantern restaurant four weeks ago. She was arrested for striking Derek Mannering with a bottle and was bound over the following morning to keep the peace. Anything else? What about her husband? Oh, the local manor says there's nothing known against him except he's heavily in debt in the district. The local publican and wine merchants say that they refused him credit. Right. Anything else? Uh, nothing further, sir. Okay, thank you. Oh, if you need me urgently, I'll be back at the yard tomorrow. I think I'd I think I better have a word with the estranged husband. Uh, Mr. Phillips, I'm a police officer. May I come in? Yes, of course. Yep. Oh, through here, please. Yep. Oh, and what can I do for you? Is it something to do with the death of Stephen Mannering? Oh, you know about it. Of course, it was in yesterday's paper. Do sit down. Okay. You knew Mannering, I understand. Oh, yes, I knew him. My wife and I met him in Yugoslavia last year. When did you last see him? Months ago. I can't really recall the date. Oh, yes, it was at um, it was some party in our club, the, the, the Underwater Club. And since then, you haven't seen or heard of him? You no, know, I haven't. What about your wife? Has she been in touch with him? Now, look here, Inspector. You said you're investigating the case. You must have found out by now that my wife has left me and is living with him. So why ask these questions? All right, then. So there's no need to beat about the bush. What did you do when you heard that your wife was leaving you for Mannering? Yeah, but that was a bad job, Inspector. A wife who can do that to her husband after 15 years of marriage isn't worth bothering about, don't you agree? You didn't make any effort to get your wife back, then? Oh, well, uh, I wrote to her. I even rang her, but it was no good. And to be quite honest, Inspector, it had happened several times before, and I, I've always taken her back. This time I'd had enough. I've got to draw the line somewhere. Right. But I wouldn't be wrong in saying that the death of Stephen Mannering didn't upset you unduly. Of course you wouldn't be. Well, what did you expect me to do? Die of a broken heart because that so-and-so had kicked the bucket? I never did like the man. All right, Mr. Phillips. I'd just like to know from you what you were doing last Tuesday. Tuesday? Let's see. I, I didn't go out at all. I was here all the time. I... I stayed here from Monday night until Wednesday morning. You see, I've got a part in a new play. I was learning some of the lines. And what's the play called? Summer's End. One of these kitchen sink dramas. But it's quite a good play, really. And what about food? What about a charwoman? Well, I had all the food I needed in the fridge. The charwoman comes in twice a week on Mondays and Thursday mornings. So there's nobody who can confirm that you were actually here in this flat on Tuesday? No, I'm afraid not. 
But one normally doesn't always have to prepare an alibi, does one, Inspector? No, of course not. Well, this picture on the mantelpiece, that's you, isn't it? Yes, that was taken while I was in the Navy. Ah, you're a frogman, weren't you? That's right. Now, look here, Mr. Phillips. On the day Stephen Mannering was killed, a strange woman appeared in the village. Uh, from the description, it may appear. I say it may, mind you, that she wasn't a woman at all, but a man dressed up as a woman. Now, for an actor, it'd be quite easy to do that, wouldn't it? Steady now, on. hear me out. We got a very good description from the owner of the boarding house where that woman took a room. And I must say that the description fits you perfectly, Mr. Phillips. I don't know what she's told you, but this is preposterous. How could that woman's description possibly fit me? It's a very good description, Mr. Phillips. I put it to you that you took the night train to Newton Abbott. Then you took the bus to Marlow where Mannering and your wife were staying. Knowing Stephen Mannering was fond of sailing, you watched for an opportunity to kill him while he was actually in a boat. Rubbish. There isn't the slightest grain of truth in it. Isn't there? When you saw that Mannering had taken a dinghy out from the Marlowe Cove Hotel, you took your diving equipment, which you'd brought from London. Uh, what did you have in the case, Mr. Phillips? Oxygen bottles? Oh, this is Don't interrupt me, Mr. Phillips. You then drove the car you'd hired from Hatton's garage to Dead Man's Point. When you saw Mannering sailing across the bay, you put on your diving outfit, swam underwater to his boat, knocked him over the head and pulled him into the water, correct? It's all lies. I wasn't near the place. I... I didn't even know Edith was there with him. I, I told you, I, I've been here in the flat all the time. Mind if I search your flat? I haven't got a warrant, but I can easily get one. A sergeant could why be here. Do you, why do you want to search my flat? Well, I'd expect to find an olive green muffler, a flowery hat with a broad brim and a bow, and a woman's two-piece costume. All right, you win. I loved Edith. She, no matter what she'd done to me, all I wanted was to get her back. I thought that once Mannering's dead, she, she might... Don't you understand, Inspector? The, the thought that she was living with this man drove me mad. It's like the last line of play. All right, Inspector, you've solved your case. Have you got your handcuffs ready? I don't think it'll be necessary, Mr. Phillips. Just pack a few things, come with us to the station, where I propose to charge you with the willful murder of Stephen Mannering. You were very sure of me, weren't you? I suppose you knew I'd killed him all along. Good heavens, no. You were suspect, obviously. But you gave yourself away. You made a silly mistake. Well, listeners, what was Alan Phillips' foolish mistake? Did you spot it? Not sure? Well, listen to the commercial, and I'll be back to tell you. I know this is your favorite program, love, but uh, shouldn't you be baking for tomorrow's birthdays? There's no hurry. I'm taking the easy way. I'm baking four maple cakes in one batch. Four maples? You mean they're all going to be the same? Same light, fluffy texture, same moist flavor, yes. But they'll have different frostings and fillings. You know, chocolate, orange. I know, you're trying to blind me with domestic science. <laughs> it's very simple. I'm making my usual foolproof maple margarine cake four times, that's all. Maple has its own light blending texture that gives you light-hearted confidence cake after cake. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing right with pure, light-textured maple margarine. No doubt about it, maple margarine, a truly great product. Well, listeners, did you notice how Phillips gave himself away? If you remember, I told Philip. Now, hear me out. We've got a very good description from the owner of the boarding house where that woman took a room. And I must say that the description fits you perfectly, Mr. Phillips. I don't know what she's told you, but this is preposterous. Now, how could that woman's description possibly fit me? See it now? How did Phillips know that the owner of the boarding house was a woman? I never said so. It was a foolish mistake, wasn't it? One for which she paid dearly since he was sentenced to life imprisonment, as he deserved to be. Oh, the moral of the story? Never go fishing when there's a skin diver about. You'll never know who is on the other end of the line. Good night. The Epic Casebook was produced by Michael Silver for the makers of Epic Pure Sunflower Oil, Maple Margarine, Yum Yum Peanut Butter, and Niblet's Cheese Twists, with Hugh Russ as Inspector Carr. 
Listen again next Thursday night at 9.30 to another exciting story from our epic casebook. Listen to Man from Homicide Transcribed, starring Dan Duryea, following this reminder. Henry J. Taylor, author, journalist, and ABC commentator, whose commentaries on world events are heard every Monday evening on ABC, is on a fact-finding tour of European countries. Periodically, Mr. Taylor takes trips abroad to examine activities at first hand and to get his own reactions. During the weeks he's in Europe, his Monday evening commentary, Your Land and Mine, will be broadcast each week from a different European capital. He'll speak tonight from Zurich, Switzerland. So listen for Henry J. Taylor's Your Land and Mine tonight on ABC. The Man from Homicide. According to Webster's Dictionary, homicide is the killing of one human being by another. According to Lieutenant Lou Dana... It's the beginning of a dirty, dangerous job. It doesn't end until the killer is found. I don't like killers. at this time, the American Broadcasting Company brings you transcribed the star of stage and screen, Dan Duryea, as Lieutenant Lou Dana, the man from Homicide. The job a man does leaves its mark on him. Generally, you can spot a doctor, a lawyer, a butcher, a baker, half a block away. But what kind of a mark is left on the men who work out of homicide? Dave carried his 300 pounds into my office at headquarters. It had been a long time since he'd pounded the beat. Lou? Yes, Pappy? Martha Kent has come home. Martha Kent? Yeah, she was spotted coming into the Cleveland train, picked up, and... Where is she now? Her apartment. A couple of men are covering. Now all we got to do is let a little time pass, and we've got Eddie Kent, Lieutenant. Like that. Well, he can't keep away from her, whatever it costs him. She must be, um, interesting. Oh, <laughs> I seen her once a couple of years ago. I'm an old fat cop, Lou, but I'm glad she never smiled at me. Eddie Kent killed three men we know of. The last one was a bank job we can pin on him. Dave? Elton. Those men covering her apartment. Uh-huh. Pull them out. But Lou... Do it right I... away. Okay, Lieutenant, only I don't... She uh, came in by train. How much of an effort did she make to shake anyone off her tail? Uh, well, not much the way I got it. And headed straight for her apartment. Uh... No, Dave... Too pat. Uh, I see what you mean a little, only what would she be after? Maybe she wants to be Mary. Huh? A Mary widow. What's her address? 49 South Grover. 49 South Grover. If I'm not back in a little while, send my mail there. Maybe she'll smile at me. I spent the trip to South Grover thinking about Eddie Kent. After I got finished thinking about him, I wished there was a way a man could wash his mind out. Martha Kent would be what? Something shrill? In heels an inch too high? Brassy hair? A runway figure? Yes. No. Something a lot more dangerous. What? Excuse me. Mind if I come in? Well, who are you? The name's Dana. Oh, that's right. Lou Dana. There's nothing much I could do about keeping you out, is there? Nothing much. Come in. 
Well? Eddie in? You should know. Uh-uh. Don't your men tell you things? I took them off you. You did what? Sent them back to the precinct. Why? Their feet hurt. That was very kind of you. Thanks. Eddie isn't in. That's too bad. Do you plan on waiting for him here? No. Do you? That's all, Lieutenant. Mrs. Kent, does Eddie know you don't, uh, care anymore? Why not ask Eddie? Because he doesn't know. That was when she turned her back on me. Being a cop blunts the finer sensibilities. I only noticed her stocking seams weren't crooked. I'm tired. I'm going to bed. If you like, you can tuck me in. There's probably a police regulation about it. You don't have to worry. I wouldn't like. Oh, you wouldn't. Good night, Mrs. Kent. Eddie should be along any time now, huh? Get out. Sure. She hadn't smiled at me once. Cops and hallways are unnatural. I didn't enjoy it. I stayed with it an hour and then moved out. There'd be two of them. One for the front, one for the back. I took the back. He'd be the easier of the two. There was an alley, garbage cans, and... Hey, cut it out. Don't reach for it. Oh, it's a big idea. Not very big. Out in the light, huh? Now, look, mister, if you think you're tough, you... Oh. Hello, boiler. Dana. I think I'm tough. Well, I... I, I, I didn't know it was you, Lieutenant. What's uh, special about that alley? Oh, I just happened to be passing by. Nobody passed any law about passing by. Boiler. Well, it's like this. I, I had a date to see a fellow, and he says, meet me there. You know, in that alley. Let's go down to the precinct. No. No, you ain't got nothing on me. Would you like to try resisting arrest? So me and the cannot get a mouthpiece, he'll spring me so fast you Twenty-four won't... Twenty-four hours. Before I have to book your boiler. Nothing to eat. Nothing to drink. Not even uh, tea. Oh, I'm off the stuff, Lieutenant. I ain't touched a stick and... I'm not narcotics, boiler. Yeah, I, I know. Somebody like you, narcotics would be better. They make arrangements. They don't like their arrest to be screaming. Scraping cement with bleeding fingernails. Lay off, will you? In homicide, we can't accommodate you properly. In homicide, we don't especially care. Guys like you ain't human, Dana. You guessed. Well, Boiler? It's a dame. Dame up in that house. Eddie Kent's wife, she... She's kind of worried he, he might show. She doesn't love him? I wouldn't know. Orders was, you, you don't get to her. What does he get? I'd say eight hours before you break. No. No, look, look, Lieutenant. It was a, only a job. They don't tell me anything. They, they give me orders. And Who they... gave you orders? I can't, Dana. The precinct. Come on. Hey, look, look, Lieutenant. I start spilling to cops. What would my life be worth? What's it worth now? Okay. It's McGrath. McGrath. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Good night, Boiler. You won't tell him that I... Oh, what's the use? He'll know. You don't care what happens to a guy, do you, then? Not if he carries a gun. That's only in case Eddie was to get A up. man with a gun, all he's got to do is crook a finger and he's a killer. I don't like killers. Good night, Boiler. Boiler went back to the alley in the garbage cans. I went to visit Mr. McGrath. Boiler had the best of it. Start with the kid stuff, snatch and run. Knock over a couple of small stores. Move up into hot cars and cold decks. 
pick up a few houses, take over a few wheels, buy a few deaths, and you wind up Mr. McGrath. But you wear tailored suits by then, and handmade shoes, and you got a hood for a doorman. Hey, what's the idea this uh Copper. Copper? No, you don't. You got a paper copper? Uh-uh. Turn around and go away. Uh-uh. No warrant. You keep coming. I got a legal right to blast you. Sure. But have you got the guts? Okay. Come on. We'll find out. I'm coming. Max! Yeah, Mr. McGrath. What's the trouble? I'm having words with a cop. He wants in. He ain't got no paper. Put your gun away and let the fool in. Okay. It'll be a pleasure to have him thrown off the force. Hello, McGrath. Lieutenant Dana. Max, you've been rude. Huh? Lieutenant Dana isn't an ordinary policeman. He's a personality. My door is always open to him. Apologize to the lieutenant, Max. He's a cop. I said... Forget it, McGrath. Very well. You may leave us, Max. Okay. Max is a trifle crude, I'm afraid. Have a drink, Lieutenant? No. Never drink on duty, huh? I wouldn't like your brand. Not raw enough, I suppose. I got work to do. Haven't we all? What's half of $80,000, McGrath? $40,000? That kind of money worth a death? I haven't seen the latest quotations. Eddie Kent knocked over a bank two months ago. Killed a guard and collected 80000 He had help. Indeed. 40000 for Kent. 40000 for, uh, the help. Seems equitable. How do you share the death? He needed a little time to think for an answer. I looked around. There was a charming room. Mostly Chippendale pieces. Oak paneling on the walls. A small Renoir hung where the sunlight would hit it in the mornings. A girl brushing her hair before a mirror. She looked like someone I'd seen. And for a minute I couldn't remember where. Then I remembered, but the girl in the painting was smiling. You've uh, evidently decided to be nasty, Lieutenant. Why? Martha Kent. I beg your pardon? Martha Kent. A lovely girl, as I recall. Pity she's not in town anymore. She's in town. A pleasant thought. Eddie Kent alive gets $40,000. Eddie Kent dead... It's a mouthful of dust in Potter's Field. You're picturesque. How do we kill Eddie Kent, McGrath? It's not exactly my problem. How do we kill him safely? Got it. We bait a trap. The lure? Martha Kent. Fine. Eddie goes for her. How does that kill him, though? I couldn't say. We make sure the cops know where Martha Kent is. We fake it a little, so the cops think it's their own idea. They stake out. Eddie makes a beeline for her lovely arms. Runs into a couple of cops. So? You picked us to kill him for you. No, no, be, be careful. I'm very careful. <sighs> that was from me, personally. You'll be sorry for this. The department will mail you a written apology. <laughs> Headquarters was where I'd left it. They'd built it a stone. Hi, Lieutenant. You got out of that one fast. Who was asleep? Uh, I was. (laughs) Go on back. It's cold out here. Yeah. How's it set up, Lou? Oh, stalemate, I guess. McGrath's got a couple of men covering for Mrs. Kent. They'll keep Eddie off. McGrath, huh? 
No good, Lou. He was in on the bank job with Kent. You got proof? No, but it has to be that way. He was the one set up Mrs. Kent as a decoy. When I pulled the cops out, his men moved in. No one to split with Eddie, huh? Forty thousand reasons against us. Yeah. Lou, you look beat. Occupational disease, Dave. Yeah. Martha Kent do any smiling? Uh, not in my direction. Uh. I'll be in my office for a while. Doing what? Waiting. I wouldn't know for what. Don't ask me, huh? I waited. I thought it might be nice if I had a Renoir. It could be a small Renoir on the wall. I thought what Captain Kowaleski might have to say on the subject. I decided I'd settle for the dirty plaster. Why don't you go on home, Lou, huh? It's an idea. Nothing's going to happen tonight. Oh, I suppose not. I feel restless. You slapped McGrath around? Only once, Dave. Oh, you're improving. You could still find trouble that way. Well, he was trying to buy a killing from us. Yeah. You take it too hard, Lou. You'll never get fat like me. Too bad. I was looking forward to it. Ah, go on home. I'm going. Uh, <clears throat> Lou. Yeah? 49 South Grover ain't on your way home. What makes you think I might be passing there? <laughs> Bet you my pension against a peppermint lifesaver. Pappy, I don't like peppermint. He would have won. McGrath's man out front of her house was holding down the same tree. I drove around the block to see if Boiler was still holding down the back. Martha Kent was in on the deal with McGrath. The decoy had to be, and she was. The girl in the Renoir was smiling. Maybe she was too polite to laugh out loud at me. Renoir painted beautiful things. No sense of reality. Boiler among the garbage cans would have been a more practical subject. But Boiler wasn't there. The alley closed in on me. I was in a hurry. And careless. I stumbled over a garbage can and almost missed him. Boiler was propped up against the wall, his legs straight out before him, his head slumped down over his chest. He might have been brooding about the blood that had poured out of that chest if he hadn't been so completely dead. I left him there. I wasn't in a hurry anymore. He'd been dead some little while. Whatever had been going to happen in Martha Kent's apartment would already have happened. I didn't care too much about finding out. The lock on Martha Kent's door was in fine shape. Except that the door wasn't locked. The living room was the way I remembered it. I had nothing to remember about the bedroom. But there'd be something I'd work at forgetting. She'd fallen back across the bed. The stain on the front of her dress hadn't been her dressmaker's idea. Her eyes were open. And when I bent over, I could have sworn they saw me. Hello. Mrs. Kent. I thought maybe I'd see you again. Hold it. Operator. Police emergency. Lieutenant Dana. Get a doctor to 49 South Grover, apartment 3C, immediately. Got it? Yeah. L Lieutenant. Better not talk. I. There'll be a doctor here in a couple of minutes. You've seen people like this before. I should be dead. I, Will I... you stop? No. What do you want me to do? 
think about what my life has been and what's happening to it now. There might be a chance. Are you trying to make me laugh? Lieutenant, you look funny. It's a habit my face has. I... You know who? Yeah. I'm tired. I want to go to sleep. You can tuck me in if you like. That's what I said when I was still alive. You said you wouldn't like. You lied. Didn't you, Lieutenant? I lied. I knew. Please. It's all going so fast now. Please. All right. I'll tuck you in. Good night. The doctor was a little late. The homicide squad arrived and made noises and was very busy. There was a guy named Shakespeare who wrote a play. And when his character died, he said, The rest is silence. In my line, the rest is routine. Go on, Sam, get the cameras out of here. You ain't right, shooting Jim. the movie. All right, Terry, rush that print over to the lab, huh? Take it easy. Will you Go do get it? the lead out. Get the lead out. Right. Dave was there, making like a sergeant. The men loved every pound of him. No reporters till later. Come on now, boys. Get rolling, huh? Lieutenant. Yeah, Dave? Snap out of it. Out of what? I'm feeling fine. Don't kid Pappy, huh? Sorry, Dave. Call it, I'm tired. Forget it. Okay. Uh, the boys have been through the building. Did they have fun? Dug up a couple of neighbors, heard the shots. Thought it was a car backfiring. That was bright of them. Well, it gives us the time she was shot. One hour and 11 minutes ago. That'll help. Not the girl, maybe, but the district attorney's gonna need it. All right. He's got it. And Boiler must have been shot a few minutes before that. Gives you the pair of them. Pinned down close, too. Close enough. Eddie Kent's out in the open now. Must have been holed up the last two months someplace in town. With her showing, it brought him out. He realized she'd thrown in with McGrath, so he Save figured... it for the report, Dave. Yeah, okay. We'll get him pretty quick now. Sure. So long, Dave. Lou, where you going? Out. What for? I need a killer. There's the old one about the man who lost a horse. Who said to himself, If I were a horse, where would I go? And then he went there. If I were Eddie Kent, I'd go to visit McGrath. I went. It was a nice night. The only thing wrong with it was people. There was a car parked outside of McGrath's house. It pulled away as I came up. I didn't have the patience for a chase, so I cut my wheel and slowed it up. Max was climbing out of the other car, tugging at his pocket. I discouraged him. He fell down. I got the gun all the way out of his pocket. Two bullets gone. Within very recent history. There was nothing else that moved in the car. McGrath might still be at home. Worrying about his car, maybe. Max, what on earth? Dana. Inside. Now, look here. I said inside. All right. What do you want? Your car's in a bad way. Oh, well, that crash. Yeah, I'm a careless driver. You could be drunk. I could be. That won't help your record any. You really think I'm drunk? If you're not, you're... you're insane. Oh, no. We just haven't met professionally before. Max, was he hurt? He'll live. I'm going to call a doctor for no. him. No. 
Now, look here, this is a completely preposterous. Pre- Something bothering you? I haven't anything further to say to you, Dana. One man's opinion, yours. I don't share it. You must have. Uh, you must have uh, looked into the car. I did. Well, that can be explained easily. Explain it easily. Eddie Kent was a killer. He apparently thought his wife and I had been a little too friendly. Had you? You know how it is, Lieutenant. No. Anyway, he came here threatened to kill me, so Max beat him to it, that's all. The case of self-defense would stand up in any court. Sure. So there's no reason to act the way you are. Where was he delivering the body? To the aquarium? Well, uh, you see, Max's record isn't too good. He, he was afraid the police might not readily accept a self-defense plea. He wanted to dispose of the body. I tried to persuade him not to, but I failed. As a matter of fact, I was... Uh, just about to notify the police myself. Uh-huh. I think you'll find the bullets in Eddie Kent's body came from Max's gun. I know they did. Well, then, uh, we can relax, can't we? I've been relaxing for hours. How about the bullets in Boiler's body and Martha Kent's body? Well, they'd have come from Eddie Kent's gun, obviously. Uh, you mean the gun planted on Eddie Kent, don't you? What? What do you mean? Kent came here to see you first, for his share of the bank money. Kent died here. Max took care of that. But you still didn't own that 80000 It was Martha Kent left. You saw a nice piece of business opening up. Oh, you're, you're dreaming. A cop's dream. So you headed for her apartment. You had to dispose a boiler. He knew too much. You couldn't afford to have him around. And then you went upstairs and ended the partnership between you and Martha Kent... You came back, planted the gun you'd used on Eddie Kent, and instructed Max to dump his body where it wouldn't be found for a while. That way, no medical examiner could prove Kent had died before his wife. Well, that... That's very ingenious. You've got nothing to base it on. I've got Kent's body. Ah, good lawyer. I've got something else. An unlocked door. What does that mean? Martha Kent's door was unlocked when I got there. And the lock hadn't been tampered with. She wouldn't have opened that door to her husband. Not when she knew the trap she'd helped set for him. She'd have opened it for you, McGrath. You've been fumbling in that desk long enough. Bring the gun up. I'll let you have first shot. You you can't do anything to me. First shot. Well? Yeah. You do better with women. Don't worry. I won't slap you. All right. All right. How dirty can a man's hands get? They train you to make out a report when you're a cop. You learn how to put all the facts down in proper order. The names and the times and the places. You do it. And you sign your name, and it's a job that's done. Except where would you mention the fact that a dying girl's last action had been to smile at you? I don't like killers. You've just heard another in a series starring Dan Duryea as The Man from Homicide with Larry Dobkin as Dave. Mr. Duryea can be seen starring in Al Jennings of Oklahoma. In tonight's cast, you heard Gloria Blondell as Martha, Herb Butterfield as McGrath, and Barney Phillip as Max. Music was by Basil Adlam. from Homicide is transcribed and written by Lou Vitties, directed by Dwight Hauser. Be with us again next week, same time over most of these same ABC stations to hear Dan Durier as the man from Homicide.
America is sold on ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. That's going to do it for Case Closed this week. I hope you enjoyed our mysteries this time. You can find more from the epic case book, The Man from Homicide, Case Closed, and everything else, Relic Radio at the website, relicradio.com. You can donate through the website as well if you'd like to help support this and all of the shows. My thanks to those who have. Thanks for joining me this week. I'll be back next Wednesday with Boston Blackie and the Fat Man on another episode of Case Closed. Thank you.